Hello, everybody. This is Jeff Martin with Returning to Eden. I am really appreciative that all of you folks are coming along with us tonight. Uh, unfortunately, my co-host, Dr. Dina Dye, is still a bit under the weather, although much improved. She doesn't have a voice. She has laryngitis, and uh, she's still mending and recuperating. And apparently her husband, Michael, who I know, is also very sick with this uh, horrible uh, respiratory thing, bronchial thing going on. And so uh, I know a lot of you are praying for the Dye family, and I encourage you to keep doing that. And maybe we'll have Dr. Dye back with us. She, she, we spoke this morning, and she, she just wasn't up to it. And also, she was supposed to head out for the Revive conference that's going to be happening in Dallas. She was. A speaker down there, and uh, that's a real big disappointment to her. So keep keep her in your prayers. She she was really looking forward to being a part of the uh, speakers and making appearance in Dallas. And so I just encourage you to keep her in prayer, and hopefully we'll get her back. I'm, you know, she she actually said I'm I'm sorry to be. Uh, she doesn't like not not living up to her obligations. And I said, well, your obligation at this point in the game is to get well and to get healthy and, and for Michael and you guys to get back on your feet. And so, Dina, we love you, and we'll see you when you're ready to come back, and, and we'll keep you in prayer and lift you up and do all those things. So anyway, uh, tonight, folks, I'm going to be doing something. Uh, I've been kind of revisiting Professor John Walton. Now, some of you who've been following us, uh, we interviewed John Walton. He is a professor at Wheaton College. He is a scholar of Old Testament, uh, biblical, you name it. I mean, and the man is, like Tina says, she is his rock star, or he's a rock star. Uh, I, I wouldn't call him necessarily my rock star, but John Walton is changing the conversation, and uh I've, I've read several of his books. My favorite, The Lost World of Genesis 1. Uh, and he has another, well, he has a couple of books. I've I read another one called The Lost World of Scriptures. And in this one, this is with John Walton and D. Brett Sandy. In this one, he, he propositions every chapter. He makes a proposition, and then he articulates the proposition, which causes you to think. And I like the way he's done that with his writing style and he has uh, let me see if I can go over here he's written several other books uh, ancient Near Eastern thought in the Old Testament the uh, he's I guess he's part of the IVP Bible background commentary Old Testament uh, John Walton and Victor Matthews I don't have that one yet I hope to grab that one soon uh, he's written with David Western and Bill Tiarno Genesis and, of course, the chronological and background charts of the Old Testament. Uh, I literally, I get where it's coming from. I understand it. And his whole thing is for us to go back and really look at what we're being taught from the eyes of those people or from the authority of Moses. And John will tell you that, you know, for some reason God told Moses Here's what I want you to say, what I want you to talk about, what I want you to write. And so God chose that man in that culture, in that time, to give us the first five books of the Bible. And so if we're going to have any 
really responsibility to understanding that. We have to understand that, number one, God purposed Moses to be the person. He purposed that culture 3,800 years ago to be the backdrop, and he purposed the revelation that he revealed to that world with their circumstances, their mythological understanding of the world, their whole identity of whatever the world was like for them, that's where God supplanted the information that we glean in Genesis, in Exodus, in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so we have to kind of look at it from that perspective. I'm going to play a short clip that I want you guys to kind of check out. This is John Walton, and he, uh, he this was in June of 2015. June 30th, he is at the Evolution Christian Faith Conference, and he's given a talk. I've got two-minute clip that I want you to listen to before I continue. Uh, my goal is uh, to put information on the table, information about the Hebrew text, information about the ancient world, uh, information about um, interpretation options. And, you know, that just gives us more to work with as we try to sort things out. So I'm going to go right to the uh, hermeneutical, methodological foundation for what I do. Um, the, the table's been set in many ways already for this conversation, and so we're going to start there. And I'll do this a little more briefly than I usually do, um, and, uh, but we'll, we'll get to these issues. So, biblical authority. Most of us would say biblical authority is important to us. What do we mean by that? And we have to have that pretty clear in our minds. The idea we have is that God had a purpose that purpose in communication, and that purpose was carried out through human instrumentation. So a human Israelite from the ancient world was given a message by God in whatever way that happened, and therefore we can get to God's purpose through that human author. The authority of God is vested in that author, and therefore if we want to know what God had to say, we know the doorway to go to. We know how to get to that. The Bible then was written for us, for all of us, God's word to us, but it was not written to us. The message we believe transcends its culture, but that message is in a form that is culture-bound. And we have to recognize that when we are trying to understand the text. That means that we have to take our place in that audience. We can't afford just to sit where we are and expect the text to come to us. We've got to try to penetrate that context of communication. And therefore, our key to understand God's purpose in his revelation is to try to penetrate the ancient text, the ancient culture that that ancient author and audience would have been involved in. Okay, so that was done in June uh, 2015. And uh, John, in his book, uh, The Lost World of Genesis 1, writes... The English reader must face a difficult fact. One cannot comprehend the literal meaning of the word in the Old Testament without knowing Hebrew or having access to the analysis by someone who does. It does us no good to know what create literally means. We have to know what the word borrow literally means. So the reason why I wanted to kind of go back here for a minute is because we 
the, the show Returning to Eden is trying to get you back to a mindset that would have been normal to them. In other words, Moses would not have to explain a lot of what he was talking about to his audience because this was the world they lived in. Dina Dye wants to stay in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 forever because there's so much there, particularly Genesis 1. And the task that we have, the task that she is writing about in her series, uh, is trying to meld our minds back to a time that is not familiar to us. She uses words like axis mundi, uh, John Walton talks about archetypes, an original that has been interpreted as one example. And then there's the word concordism, which is trying to connect the Bible to our scientific world. And the problem you run into with all of those things is if, if we're talking about Adam being created out of dust, are we talking about Adam being created out of dust, or are we talking about mankind as a whole being created out of dust? When we're talking about the garden in Eden, are we talking about a place, or are we talking about a temple? And is Eden what we would call heaven today? Did God place the two cherubim at the entrance to Eden, or the entrance to heaven. In other words, what is in the mind of Moses when he's making these statements? When he has been given the task to give us the revelation, he didn't give it to us. That's the key. Does it apply? Yes, it applies to us. It'll, the word of the Lord, the living God, applies to every generation throughout history. But it was not given to us. It was given to a culture that is 3,800 years old. So I was having a discussion with a very good friend of mine, and he said, you know, as Christians, we, we have to make this leap to reconnect the, the Torah back up to its foundation, which is Hebrew, which is Jewish, which is Israel, and then we have to kind of go back and unfurl the things that have been a mixture. But the Word of God will, will stand true. It doesn't matter how it's interpreted. But we have to go back and unfurl the things that are not necessarily true or have been misrepresented or have been purposely changed in order to create a different view. In our generation, we call that um, uh, revisionist history. And, you know, whenever an army conquered another country or whatnot, everybody had to do what that country did. And it's no different today. I mean, we can see in the school systems today that they're rewriting the history of the United States of America. In fact, they don't even teach it. And what they do teach has nothing to do with the literal history or the actual history. It has to do with the revised history. Uh, that's another conversation, but the point is, this is what has been done. So we as Christians are disconnected from the Hebrew understanding of the Bible. Uh, returning to Eden is about reconnecting us back to that because God didn't purpose us to understand this from 
uh, and I don't mean this to be flippant or facetious, but the disciples weren't pygmies of the Congo. They were Jewish men and women telling the story, uh, and particularly the New Testament or the Brit Hadashah, of what happened in Israel 1,500 years earlier with Moses. So we have to kind of, we have a variety of cultural references and time periods that we kind of have to adapt back to in order to understand the text and the, the meaning of the scriptures. So in talking with my friend earlier this week, I said, how difficult is it when you have to learn the feasts of the Lord, uh, when you have to go back and understand the new moons and how they would have understood what God commanded them to observe in Leviticus, particularly the book of Leviticus, how difficult is it to then jump all the way back to Genesis 1 and start dismantle, dismantling excuse me, the concept that Adam and Eve were the first two human beings, made out of dust, taken out of the side of his rib cage. How much of this is metaphoric or allegoric or literal? What, what part of this, I mean, folks, think about it. And I've asked this question and we've talked about this a few times. God scoops this man up out of the dirt and then puts him over a wall into a garden. If you really think about that, just break that down. Here's a butt-naked dude all of a sudden popped over the wall into a garden where there's two trees and Satan and all this stuff. And then because they ate a piece of fruit, they got kicked out of the garden and all of creation fell. That is so far-fetched when you compare it to the patterns in the Bible of how the Father has always done everything. For example, if we look at Genesis 6-9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was in his generations a man, righteous and wholehearted. Noah walked with God. I've looked this word up in Browns and uh, several uh, 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 Young's Analytical Concordance, and the word Noah walked with God, it, it means that it was a lifestyle. He kept God's commandments. He kept God's laws. He kept God's statutes. Uh, it could mean, and probably and most likely based on what I've gleaned, that he was a man who observed the laws, the commandments, and the statutes of God. So God set him apart to do something amazing. He placed him into an ark. The ark was covered with pitch, and then you look at the word pitch, kafar in Hebrew, and it means, or can mean, and most likely means atonement, or redemption, or forgiveness, or wiped clean. And so I was reading an article by Tim Haig on the subject, and he was saying, um, in his article, he was saying it means to cover, to ransom, to wipe away. Uh, he goes on to say that if we look at it from that viewpoint, then we're basically talking about Yom Kippur, which is an atonement. So Noah 
is being connected to Yom Kippur or an atonement for the whole world. His family, a family of eight, which represents new beginnings, which is uh, the uh, uh, Shemini Atzeret, new beginnings, eight people set out to a new beginning because this man kept God's statutes, commandments, and laws. And so we're seeing the pattern initialized right there. We see that Adam was set apart and he walked with God in the cool of the day. So now all of a sudden, Adam forfeits his responsibility because he was given a responsibility. And the consequence was he's kicked out of the place called Eden. He's kicked out of the place called the garden. He is now separated, cast out, removed from. Then we go to Genesis 26.5, and we see the story of Abraham, and it says, because that Abraham hearkened his voice and kept his charge, his commandments, his statutes, and his law. Well, here we go again. God is setting a man apart because he kept the laws, the commandments, and the statutes. And, of course, we know that there was a covenant confirmed with Noah, and we see that there's a covenant established with Abraham. So we're seeing... a, a a story being built upon itself. We're seeing covenants being built upon itself. Then you get to the story of Job. Job was a man in the land of Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was wholehearted, upright, and, he, and one that feared God and shunned evil. So we can suffice it to say, say that Job, like Abraham, like Noah, kept God's instructions. He wanted to do what God wanted done. So Job then goes on to talk about the destruction that happened to his life. And I would propose here that he's actually a high priest, and there's a whole conversation about that. And he's talking about the aftermath of the destruction of the first temple. Uh, <clears throat> I would just suggest that to you. That's something that Dean and I are working on. We both believe that to be the case. Uh, but we see this, this kind of thing continuing. And then we see in John, in the Brit Hadashar, the New Testament, John 1, 3, 4 says, Everyone who commits sin also breaks the law. Sin is the breaking of law. Aramaic translation, but whoever commits sin commits evil, for sin is entirely evil. Well, I suggest to you that Noah was working his way against evil, Abraham was working his way against evil, and Job was a man who went through hell, literally hell, standing for the things of God. So if we look at these three men, these three stories, these three situations, how can we disconnect Adam from this pattern? Because Adam was placed into the garden to do something. He failed to do it at a specific time and was kicked out of the place where God dwelt in the earth. So as I look at all of this stuff and just continue to go over it and over it and listen to John Walton, I mean, I've, I really would encourage you folks get this book, The Lost World of Genesis 1, and there's several people that are tapping into this whole conversation. John Walton challenges our understanding. 
and he has the right to because our understanding is not based on the culture or the integrity of the culture with which Moses wrote the first five books. Our understanding is based on our culture, based on how we've been taught through a translation or a transliteration completely disconnected from a Hebraic understanding of the Bible. Uh, we have this Greek understanding of the world. We have a scientific understanding of the world. And none of that was the case with Moses or with Abraham or with Noah, certainly with Isaac or Jacob. Their world was based on a mythological reality, which we downplay or discard as being, you know, myth. But to them, it was the way the world was. That's why I like to show when Dina brought out the word Axis Monday, because she talked about the three spheres, the heavens, the earth realm, and then the underworld. Well, all of those people in that time, in that day and age, they wouldn't have known anything about Hubble. They wouldn't have known anything about telescopes. They wouldn't have known anything about our sciences today. So all they had was they were the servants of gods, and the gods were the ones who determined what was going to happen to them. They were servants. And then all of a sudden this nation, Israel, pops up, which has its pinnings in the book of Genesis, uh, the plan, the purpose of everything that God was doing was to bring forth this nation, Israel, and to bring forth this people who teach us the Bible. And I said to someone, uh, I was having a conversation recently with a lady, and she said, um, but, the, but the Jews, they didn't accept Jesus. They didn't get it. And I said, who wrote your Bible? She said, well, God didn't. I said, no, God inspired it. Who wrote it? She said, well, the, the disciples, the Jews, Paul. And I said, okay, so you just told me the Jews didn't understand this, and now you're telling me that they wrote and told you all about it. Which one is the truth? And the truth is that every time any Christian anywhere on this world opens up the Bible, they're reading the account given to us by the nation of Israel. And folks, I will say to you over and over and over again, that is precisely how God planned it. And for some reason, he didn't start the story with Noah, a brand new earth, as Moses was changing the identity from Pharaoh to Elohim, as Moses was restoring this people back to the literal text, the literal meaning, the actual revelation given to him by God Almighty, was well, the same thing today, folks. It's the same. We don't have a Moses, but we have the Word. We have the Bible. We just have to give it back to the authors and the culture which with they wrote it. So, returning to Eden, and I hope it doesn't sound like Dean and I are belaboring this, returning to Eden is all about, let's go back and really look at this. I often ask Christians, how many animals, uh, how did Noah bring the animals into the garden? And they all say two by two. And then I show them right there in Genesis uh, 7-2, I believe it is, or... Yeah, seven to, 
It says that he brought the animals and the clean animals by seven and the unclean animals by two. And the lights go on and the Christian mind goes, wow, I've never seen that before. And that's the problem. We don't see the text. We only know the story. Well, what if the story is flawed? What if the story is lacking? What if the story that men have taught to us is not the story that the Bible is communicating to us? So the heart of this program, and I miss Dina. Dina's a, she's like a, uh, when you, when you really, folks, when you, this is, this show is for people who study. This program is about people who want to dig deep. It's not about people who accept the status quo and then try to figure out how it applies to their lives. This show is about going back and seeing what the creator did with the people he did it in the hour that it was done through the lens that they recorded it and how to now walk forward with that information, separating out what has been added or taken away, what has been mixed in, polluted, and or purposely changed in order that we not know truth. Folks, I would say to you that that is deception. And for any people group on the planet to think that we have not been affected by deception, that's just, if I can be so blunt as to say, that's arrogance. Because the Bible tells us that the enemy of the throne of the God of Israel, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of the Jews, has an enemy that makes, goes out of his way, to add a mixture into the word of the Lord, to throw us off balance, to keep us from not knowing who God is, why he created us, and who we are in him. Returning to Eden hopes to accomplish that. We love digging into this. So I wanted to revisit John Walton tonight. Dina didn't know what I was going to do. Uh, and I didn't really want to, you know, she's not feeling well. She'll be back and she, you know, <laughs> this woman blows my mind every time she opens her mouth and starts talking about restoring the concepts that have been lost to us or purposely replaced. And so uh, I look forward to her coming back. I look forward to learning more from her and others. Uh, but I do encourage you, pick up The Lost World of Genesis 1, The Lost World of Scripture, and he also has a book called The Lost World of Adam and Eve. I had all three of those. I gave one to a young man who wanted to understand this better. Uh, but, but what if, and I'll leave you with this as I close out the show, what if Adam and Eve were not the first two people? And what if Adam was set apart to be a high priest or a king bringing order to the kingdom, order to chaos? This is exactly what Noah was said to do. 
This is exactly what Abraham was sent to do. This is exactly what Moses was sent to do. This is exactly what the Messiah came and did in a world that has rejected the things of God. So this is Jeff Morton. I look forward to my co-host, my friend, my teacher, uh, Dina Dye, being back with us next week. And uh, I haven't really discussed with her about when we're going to have Chris on, but I'm thinking Chris, Dr. Chris Green, talking about his new book, God's Healing Code. Uh, we'll probably have him on on July 12th if he's available. And uh, Dina being sick is kind of, uh, set things into, you know, we've had to react. But hopefully next week that's all over with, and I look forward to having you all join me. Remember, go to our blog, or excuse me, our podcast, which is on Podomatic, Returning to Eden, uh, and you can pick up this show, and it's archived. Thank you so much for joining us. Shalom, shalom, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Hi, I'm Dr. Chris Green, and I've written a new book called God's Healing Code, A Biblical Prescription Restoring Body and Soul. It's for anyone who wants to improve their health naturally with biblical wisdom. I show my readers specific strategies for healthy eating and reasonable exercise right from the pages of the Bible. Through stories of real people, we demystify much of the confusion surrounding diabetes, heart disease, obesity, and chronic pain. I explain how ancient Hebrew makes it easy to know how food can be healing and exercise fun and doable at any age. I look forward to spending time with you on the upcoming interview with Jeff Morton and Dr. Dina Dye on a special health edition of Returning to Eden. Until then, find out more about biblical health and how to get a jump start on restoring your energy and vitality at GodsHealingCode.com.